Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. Horror and moral terror are your friends. Yeah, that's what it's, it's all about these days, because so out the above the way things are, there's not much to laugh about, is there? Don't you love me looking like Peter Chris? Answer. Do you love me? No. I think it's just... Bloody hard luck, and that's about all I can say about it. My love, I have a lot of love for you. I feel like killing myself because I can't see you. Why don't you come? Please come and dancer. I'll die if you don't. There's no place like home. Love you forever. Sound is a remix of audio from around the world. Documentaries, narratives, web work, found sound, sound art, sound bites, and interesting work we dig up in all kinds of places. We can't tell you where because then, of course, we'd have to kill you. Today, a look at how people cope in places they don't want to be. First, a story about soldiers making music in Iraq. Then, two tales from North Korea, one of starvation and one of grotesque indulgence. And a teenager on the cusp of leaving juvenile detention for the sixth and last time. Sometimes it's all about just getting through the day. Stay with us. So much has been written about the war in Iraq, but how much has been heard? The sound of war isn't just guns and grenades. It's guns and roses, Eminem and Tupac. To say nothing of the Baghdad Bee Gees. Australian war artist George Giddos has traveled to Iraq four times since 2002, and he's recorded the music that soldiers listen to to psych up for battle and to unwind afterwards. In a place of isolation, insecurity, fear, and death, soldiers have turned to singing, rapping, and playing music as a lifeline to survival. In our first story, Giddos teamed up with Kath Dwyer of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation to produce a soundtrack to war. <laughs> bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when we come for you? Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? So don't what you doing when we coming for you? Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. It's the ultimate rush. 
because you know you're going into the fight to begin with. And then you got a good song playing in the background, and uh, that's, that gets you real fired up. One of the songs on here, we've been listening to Let, Let the Bodies Hit the Floor, which is uh, fitting for what we've been doing. So uh, we've been playing that. It's like our motto out here now. Ever since we crossed the border from Kuwait and Iraq, uh, every little city and village we come across, we've uh, hit enemy contact. Uh, not so much uh, Saddam's military either. It's just anybody that, uh, you know, doesn't want us in their country. I mean, there is a lot of innocent civilians that were killed, and I think that is because uh, the U.S. Army, you know, uh, we came in and we knew it wasn't going to be easy, and they pretty much at first shot anything that moved. People go out and they go jogging to release some, some, some stress or some pressures or just to get their minds off things and other people listening to music. In fact, music has a tendency also to pump you up. Before we used to go out on big missions like big battalion type missions, passport missions, we used to have our uh, PSYOPs guys that have these loud speakers on top of the trucks play some pretty heavy metal music before we go out. Like what? Oh yeah, like Linkin Park, yeah, definitely. old ACDC stuff. You name it, and uh, listen to this before you go out because, uh, you know, to a degree, it gets you pumped up, it gets you ready. That's when the whole battalions is. The whole battalions cool. hanging out, tanks are lined yeah. up, brads. That's some pretty troops. powerful stuff. They start yeah. blurring that music. It's yeah, just it's... like, yo, let's go get this on. Let's go yeah, do this. <laughs> let's go do this. I'm George Giddos and I've been in Baghdad making a film about music. I wanted to do something about this huge cultural invasion. When I was in Baghdad prior to the Americans coming in, it was all uh, Islamic music, beautiful music, but nothing American. And the first thing you could hear over the tanks was the sound of heavy metal and rap. The absolute anthem of the American Army, apart from Bodies Hit the Floor, the absolute anthem of the American Army was Slayer's uh, Reign of Blood and um, Angel of Death. Soldiers were playing Angel of Death, Reign of Blood, um, Let the Bodies Hit the Floor uh, into the battle and it was putting them in this altered state of consciousness that sort of allowed them to kind of cut themselves off from their conscience. In fact, it got them into an altered state of mind where quite often they say, my God, did I do that? And what am I going to think about myself when I get home? So, yeah, it was, it was unreal for them and, and the music induced this kind of unreal state. And a lot of them did things that they weren't happy with later. Heavy metal music is used to psych the soldiers up, it's used to torture victims, you know, people who've been captured, they're, they're, they're forced to listen to heavy metal music and um, they suffer sleep deprivation and uh, exposure to cold and things like that as a way of getting information. And it was also a way of kind of 
flushing out the enemy, so to speak. Heavy metal music is actually part of PSYOPs. It's, it's like equipment within the American Army. So there are these vehicles called PSYOP vehicles, which have got very powerful speakers. And often I'd hear a massive sort of uh, heavy metal anthem being blasted into some neighbourhood. And <laughs> I wondered if the people who came out and shot at them just wanted to get a good night's sleep or whether they were the resistance, but it seemed to work. They kept doing it. Hey, uh, Josh, are you in there? Yeah. This is an M1 Abram main battle tank. And, uh... This is the loader station in the tank. This is where the main sound system is for the, the um, helmets that we use and we can communicate with the other tanks. And uh, there's just a couple inputs where we can hook, a, hook the headphones part to a CD player. We hook it right up into the tank, plug in a CD player, press play, and I control all the music for the whole tank right from here. So when you see us cruising down the road in sector, if you ever see a battle tank going by and you see the loader and the tank commander, and they're bobbing their heads. Yeah, we're rolling through sector listening to Tupac. My niggas look mad. Y'all supposed to be happy on the street. Y'all niggas look like y'all wanted me to stay in jail. Picture me rolling in my 500 bins. I got no love for these niggas. There's no need to be friends. They got me under surveillance. I swear somebody can tell them. No, there's no being sold. But I ain't one selling. Don't want to be another number. I got It's been 11 months of blood, sweat, brothers, and music. Music has always had as an outlet. It's all I've had. I feed them lead. Now when release, I will I live. Well, God forgive me for all the dirt a nigga did. Be kids. One life to live is so hard. We've lost a lot of brothers, and, and it gets tougher every day. The city was under attack yesterday and uh, we lost some friends and stuff and we've lost them the whole time. We've been here and we just deal with one memorial after another and the only way that I've been able to deal with that is to write music. Music's everything for these soldiers because they can't escape one another. There's no free space and when they put their headphones on, that's their room. Um, to them, music's more important than food. It's more important than ammunition. It's the ammunition that keeps them ready to keep functioning, because particularly now that they've been there so long. I got keys coming from overseas. a nigga 200 G's. I'm a street commando, Nino, for example. This lavish lifestyle is hard to handle, so I got the flaws because I'm more like a boss player. to be a woman Measurement like this. So, Janelle, you know, what are you doing? We're putting a gasket on a water pump for the generator. Yeah? I'm a 52 Delta. I'm a generator mechanic. And you're also a songwriter? That is correct. Well, to write out here, it's not hard, because no. out here you have many experiences that pop up at many different times, so it's not difficult. You could be on guard duty. You could be walking around. You could be working. See, out here you have a lot of time to think, so... That's where most of your creativity comes from. It's just your environment. Deep in the battlefield, all covered in mud, blood, sweat, and tears, we die for our country. Through the years, no hesitation, driving on with no fears, oh no. 
mm-hmm. you know that we won't stop sacrificing dedication they give their lives no hesitation they give up what people take for granted every day go places that makes the ghetto look like estates when a war pops off that will soon be their fate and you know that we do it for one simple reason Cause we're the home of the brave You can't take that away from me We fought and died for liberty And you can shake us No one can defeat us Omega, guide us every day Our sweet home of the brave That was nice, man. Thanks. Everyone's brave out here. Me. Wanna play Mr. Tuffy if I had to get it Then what would he say? It'd be my turn to play. Hey, I had to get away. Now this is the last part. In the courtroom as the jury emerges, we'll give you a choice. Jail or the service. Can't go to the pen to be another man's hope, so I'll take four years and play G.I. Joe. A test of your manhood. Basic training is a mind game. Caught by your last name. Consider combat train. Sent to a duty station. Occupation artillery. Can't have a social life, brother. Field is killing me. I get homesick. Write my mom a letter. I should have went to jail. They would have treated me better. But I finally got promoted. Hip, hip, parade. They thought that would make me proud of being an organized slave. Keep it to yourself was my chief suggestion. Yeah, they got pissed when I asked a question. Officer, you salute. Call him social courtesy. Why should I respect the men that don't respect me? Giving me orders like I was kind of a gopher. We'll make you a driver. That ain't shit for the chauffeur. What am I here for? Can't take this no more. But I righteous attack. Now it's time to fight war. On the first fight to Iraq, scared as the next man. Don't know if I'll ever see my family again. I worry about my sons. Miss my mom. Wove around by Saddam. Blew up with a napalm. I'm finally going home. Wrapped up in a body bag. Don't go my mama's dog. Give a flag with dog tags. He was a good soldier. Job was done well. Shoeing checks in the mail. My mom said, go to hell. Family says goodbye and he cries they buried me. Didn't even get a chance to ask my girl to marry me. I hate to leave my sons, but they'll be okay. Now I'm resting in peace. I finally got away. Woo! The thing that I love about the rap music, it's it's urban rhythmic poetry. And all the soldiers who are writing it, uh, they're doing it while they're out in patrol. And they're having these uh, bullring sessions where they compete. The bullring seems to happen like a game of cards when... Uh, not everyone has to be on guard duty and they can come together and they can turn their backs on the enemy, so to speak, for long enough to have this contest. And that can happen where uh, just the tracks come off a couple of tanks and they're waiting for them to be fixed and they're out in the middle of the desert. Or it can happen between patrols where a patrol's been delayed. Usually it's a way of filling life with excitement in the moments between incredible danger in Baghdad. Coming through this bitch and blowing on straight dime sacks. I can't do that no more because I'm saluting the flag. Coming down, everybody know they carry blue flags in their back pocket. I blast off like a rocket then everybody know I'm like loose bones out of socket. It ain't no thing, baby, because I'm changing the game. I got your frame, baby. You gonna remember my name. I'm putting it down for the south and I'm keeping my name out your mouth and if you keep talking that butter, nigga, I'll knock your ass out. Ain't no thing for me to keep on wrecking the mic. I flip turn like a Cisco die. It ain't no thing, baby, because I be a damn living legend. I'm coming to tell them just like this. This out here, this for real. Them boys don't even know what it be out here in the field. It's boys getting killed, and this like every day. But I let these boys know our top them boys don't play. They coming with AK, we coming with M16s. Them boys know our top shooting enemies in they spleen. Expert marksmanship. I shoot them straight in they lip. I'm fully equipped for my battle rattle in my hip. And I tell them just like this I don't play with nobody. You gotta have the schemes to get your hands on your crane. Well, I'm so fresh to the depth. Pass this.
I might give it a rest, but I can still rock it up and give it to my man, Reback. Bring it back. Yeah, loud. Yeah. Gunshots were scaring you in the mass hysteria through the blocks in Baghdad. The M1 scared us. They were shocked when guns rocked. They dropped delirious from the rooftop. Pop fought the boom for furious thanks. Yeah. But wait. Yeah. Here we go. I'm still a trace of gun smoke, a town folk, cowpoke, tied to a short rope, a green broke, lyricist, soldier at war, and war is where my emphasis is pressed all around me. They asking me these questions as I tell them something about me, yo. It might sound like this, happy go lucky, fun, love, and tree hug, and hippie, and Christian, in parentheses. Yeah, yeah. Out all night, I fight the good fight, screaming this loud bark, lock John Hart bite. Wait, give me a light, give me a break, I'm out this fight. Yes, it, it is a release. It's a release for all of us. You know, you get um, very few moments to really decompress, you know, and there's very little escape because with so many brothers around, everywhere you turn, you're going to run into one. So find a little spot for yourself where you can let your mind be at ease and deal with the situations that you deal with on a daily. It's, uh, it's, exactly. You got, I mean, if it's 15 minutes, five minutes where you can get some rest, it's, it'll do you wonders. It'll do, I mean, it's, it's therapeutic. When I'm doing music, I'm in a whole new world. It's it's not like I'm still just tippings anymore. I become like a whole new person. And music for me is like I said, it's a way that I speak to the world. It's a way that I express what I feel. You know, some somebody else may not listen to me any other. I may talk to you now and you not even want to hear what I got to say, but through music, you listen. And I feel like through music I can get the world to listen to what I have to say. Underground, 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 when I stop the ground Like a million elephants, a silverback, a orangutan You can't stop a train, who wants up, don't come unprepared I'll be there, but when I leave there, better be a household name Brother man telling us it ain't gonna rain So now we sitting in a drop top soaking wet In the silk suit, trying not to sweat Hit some assaults without the net But this will be the year that we won't forget One, nine, nine, nine this was a lot more real and true than just a video game. A lot of people thought it was just me. Oh yeah, look through the site, you shoot. No, a lot of this is face to face, and especially riding by after the, some of the the bombs have went off and seeing all the people on the side of the road bloated up and just all the smells around you. I mean, from the sewage pipes busted and the people lying dead rotted. And it's it's a lot more gruesome than you think. It ain't like World War II gruesome, but it's gruesome more gruesome than I wanted to see. It's just rough. people saying they you know they'd shoot ground troops through the um with the coax or something and then they'd watch and they'd still be alive they'd have an eyeball hanging out here the stomach blown out and they'd still be walking around for hours on end just not in shock i guess just not dying they're just i've heard a lot of people say they're probably gonna nightmares from that because it's just usually you see in the movie bang you're dead you fall down here bang you're you should be dead your guts are hanging out but you're still walking around still talking and Sitting in a swing set, swinging like you're half crazy. Just they don't, they don't die. Got a little baby girl for a year, Jordan. Never turn my back on my kids, but we all been normie for a while. Nine, six, seven years. I've been normie 15 years. From Desert Storm to Somalia to Macedonia, I've been there. But this is a whole totally different picture here. Being 
pushed into the city urban warfare in a tank, you know. You don't know who's friendly, are because we're not, who's we're, enemy. We're not militia. We're not like the Iraqi army. They'll kill anybody. We have to we, pick and choose who we kill. We can't just we have to shoot be real anybody, girl. you know. We fire a couple warning shots at a vehicle coming at us. If the car turns around, then it was probably just civilians coming, coming, trying to go down that road. And what we do is we just fire a couple warning shots, tell them to get away. If they go away, you know, we let them go. If they keep coming, we fire maybe some more warning shots. If they keep coming then, then we determine that, that, that uh, if they're going to try and come at us when we're firing at them, then they're hostile towards us, so we take them out. One guy got so close till it was just to the point. It was ridiculous that he floored it, sure enough, suicide bomber. He got so close, luckily, the gunner just squeezed the triggers off just in time and stopped that car. Uh, sure enough, suicide bomber. And it was just, it was just wild and crazy. It's crazy. I mean, it was crazy. A lot of times, you know, we used our second guess, and sure enough, we didn't fire. Fire a couple warning shots, car stopped, got turned around, had kids in it. So we use our second guesses a lot. The first RPG round we heard coming in, you could hear the whistle before it hits, before it impacts. After the first one hit, the truck filled with smoke. And then after the first one, it felt like a dream. You know, until we kind of got, we had that shell shock after we got our senses. You know, couldn't believe we were alive, and then we heard the second whistle coming in for the second RPG, and you know, I just thought it was done. I thought that was, you know, our luck ran out with the first one. I thought the second one was gonna take us. Yeah, you know, the night, yeah, I've had some problems with the night that we got hit. You know, you try to go to sleep, and there's always, every night you go to sleep, there's gunfire. So sometimes you wake up a little startled, you know. You know, kind of takes you back to the night that our, that our truck got hit. Until you get your senses back and realize what's going on. In the event of something happening to me, there is something I would like you all to see It's just about to grab if someone that I knew Have you seen my wife, Mr. Jones? In a war zone like Baghdad, there are kind of urban myths and I'd heard about the Baghdad BGs and I wondered whether they were just phantoms and I couldn't find them. Finally one day someone said, I've connected you, here's a mobile phone, I've got Ahmed on the phone and Suddenly I had the voice of Barry Gibb. You can't be Iraqi. He said, yes, I am. I said, but you speak perfect English. Listening to my Australian English, he said, yes, better than you. And uh, then when he turned up, um, here's this guy who's never been out of Baghdad, but he's learnt music from the Bee Gees and he's learnt to speak English from the Bee Gees. And when you hear him, you think it was the Bee Gees singing. Do you know what it's like on the outside? Don't go talking too loud, you'll cause a landslide, Mr. Jones. I learned music from the Bee Gees, I learned the English language from the Bee Gees. They simply, they told me everything I know so far. Can you tell me the story you told me last night about your time in Abu Ghraib? Oh, I, first of all, I've spent one complete year, I don't know where in Baghdad, but it was in the intelligence services, in the ex-intelligence services for Saddam's regime. And I've been torched a lot, I've been hurt a lot, and I still have some marks on my body and my face. And uh, after that, I've been transferred to Abu Ghraib political prison. 
have been released under the pressure of uh, President Bush exactly to Saddam to release the political prisoners in Iraq. Tell and me about the cigarette. Oh, the cigarette is still, I have a mark here. It's, uh, I've been uh, tied up uh, from bag and uh, I was laid down on the ground. And one of the officers up, uh, at the intelligence service, he took off his cigars and put it here and scratched it with his uh, shoes. And I still remember the smell of the flesh burning meat. It was a very, very hard and bad time. And you've got marks on your back and other parts? I still have uh, some, some places on my body, still on my back and my knees and some place else. You made me really sad last night. I, I told you how I love to go home after being in a place like this where there's war. Yeah. Can you tell me what you said? I said I'd like to go home too. You know, uh, sometimes when you feel that danger all around and there's no escape, you just like, you just want to go someplace, you know, just like an island where there's nobody around, only water, and uh, no, no, no sound of gunshots or bombing around, and just have a, a time of peace. That's what we're missing in our lives. We are missing so badly. We need peace. Yeah, Habibi, Ya Watani, Fika Yamudul Kalbu Bil Haya, Fadani Atiya Ruhi. I'd say the smells are the worst thing. Just from you, your funk, where you ain't taking a bath in long enough, and your food, and I don't know, everything's just. Nasty. I'm ready to get home, get a shower, and eat a nice meal at the dinner table. The Gospel Choir uh, was formed by Major Brown. Major Brown is big and black, and finding him was like finding the Blues Brothers in Baghdad. Uh, it was just absolutely surreal. We, I took him and his choir after having a service in their little gospel church up onto a rooftop, and suddenly snipers started shooting at us. The whole city burst open into warfare, but they were so happy, they were so high, they just wanted to go on singing. Soldiers as people need to get spiritual uplifting, and that's what we do here, just in our own little footprint. We just want to bring a smile, hope, gladness, you know, to some situation, because there are many situations that are out here that will cast a shadow on one's day. But when they see you and they see the smile that you have on your face and they hear what you represent through music and song, then their spirits get uplifted. Am I right about it? Yeah, then they yeah, start to feel better about themselves and this mission. And then there is no way, no way on this earth that the enemy will be able to get victory. Let every heart say amen. Amen. Amen again. Amen. And amen. Amen. All right, give the Lord a hand clap of prayer. I read some lyrics the other day, and uh, 
I said that I sold my soul to thee and that hell has started for me. What I meant by that is by uh, basically joining the army and I feel I sold my soul to the army. Because basically I'm under their, they're in charge of me until I get out and uh, hell has started for me was the day we got out here to Iraq. I mean, I don't want to be out here any longer than I have to in this place. To me, war is heavy metal. about you know mutilated limbs and broken parts and stuff and the gore metal and then after listening to it for so many years and to see it in real life it it, it was a shocking experience um, it was something I don't want to see again what happened uh, there was a convoy that was hit by a overthrown IED and uh, the driver was uh, killed the sergeant was killed and uh, we had to, we were the first on scene so we had to evac people out so we had to pull them out of the vehicle and uh, it kind of fell apart when we pulled them out. Uh, so it wasn't a very pretty sight. Music all came about for me when I was in battalion headquarters. I uh, begged for a drum set. I said, we could have a band and it would be great. People would love it. And they said, we don't want to spend money on that. Until they heard us play one day, they heard Trent and I play by the pool, and they just loved it. So the next day we had a drum set. Two days later, we were playing a concert at the Pink Flamingo. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, a couple weeks later, or a couple months later, I'm sorry, we were playing a, a memorial service for one of our friends. Um, my name's Trent. This is uh, my friend Josh. We call ourselves Private Joe. We came up with this song after uh, a few of our a few of our comrades uh, had died, and uh, about some of the other some about the other soldiers in the unit that we've lost, and uh, it's a really it's a really deep song. Um, the lyrics are pretty moving, and um, I love I love playing it. You know. Your faces seem to stay. The names are all replaced. This memory hurts, I hurt without you, you're gone without you, running to linger, a place I cannot finger, this memory hurts, you're gone without you. weapons of mass destruction thinking that we were gonna thinking that we were gonna fight for a year and I'm leaving with you know hundred percent more experience than I came here I know all kinds of cultured people I've written music from the bottom of my heart music that I never ever thought I would have been able to to uh, tackle or even come close to have experience to be inspired to write such things especially the memorial services for the people that we care about 
I would say I've developed, you know, mentally, physically, 100% more than I was before I came here. I wouldn't give it up for the world, but I'm ready to go home. Let's go home now. I'm gonna ride for all the boys that ride for me. I'm gonna ride for what I believe in. I'm gonna ride for all the boys that ride for me. Retribution is a bitch and a band at all costs. Never forget the names of the comrades' lives lost. It's counting it off. And I'm counting it off. Sergeant Hazlett, rest in peace. Sergeant Hazlett, rest in peace. Sergeant Hazlett, rest in peace. Uh, Sergeant Woodluff, rest in peace. Uh, Sergeant Woodluff, rest in peace. Yeah, Sergeant Woodluff, rest in peace. Talk to me now, Hergot, Private First Class Hergot, rest in peace. Come on with me now. Rest in peace. Talk to me, Sergeant Serrano, rest in peace, baby. Specialist Larson, rest in peace. Sergeant Parsons, race in peace. Sergeant Parsons, rest in peace. Yeah. Soundtrack to War was produced by Kath Dwyer and engineered by Mark Don from recordings by war artist George Giddos for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation's Street Stories. Giddos made Soundtrack to War into a documentary film that aired on VH1. Some of the footage in the film was also used in Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 9-11, and Giddos is now working on a sequel to his film, which follows the soldiers after they've left Iraq and come home. There's no other place where you can hear unique and unusual sound portraits like this from all over the world. Unless, of course, you can be all over all the time. So if a piece like this affects you, let us know. You can email us with comments and questions at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Our next story is really two stories, both absolutely true. And they contrast not only in content, but in form. One is about power and authority, and it's told with a flourish that is right out of central casting. The other is about deprivation and disadvantage, and it's told in a much quieter way, as though it wants to take up less space in the room. The first deals with an Italian chef who was asked to travel to North Korea to display his pizza-making skills with only the best ingredients and the most expensive tools. The other is about a student with nothing, witnessing the North Korean famine of the late 1990s. BBC producer Hugh Levinson interweaves the two in I Made Pizza for Kim Jong-il.
Una sera di luglio ci intrattenemmo più del dovuto alla scuola pizzaioli. Una delle ultime pizze testate era una pizza orientale con filetto di petto d'oca affumicato. One evening in July, we were working late at the Pizza Institute in Northern Italy. One of the last pizzas we tested was an oriental-style pizza topped with a fillet of smoked goose, shrimp, bamboo shoots and bean sprouts. Quella notte i germogli di soia davano segni di voler germogliare parecchio. That night in bed I couldn't sleep. I had the distinct sensation the bean sprouts had begun growing in my intestinal tract. My mobile phone rang. The voice on the other end asked if I'd be available to give a training course in a distant land. The caller was a high-ranking cook in one of northern Italy's swankiest hotels, a chef with a capital C. He'd been approached by some foreign diplomats who were organizing culinary demonstrations of Italian regional cooking. They were particularly interested in pizza. At first, he refused to reveal just where this country was. Finally, he provided a hint. It's a communist country in the Far East. Vietnam, I asked. North Korea, he shot back. My name is Kang Hyuk. I was born in 1971 in South Hamgyong Province, North Korea. I was very happy in my early boyhood, but even this happiness of my childhood days has been buried by the memory of hunger. 죽음의 악몽에 놀라 캄캄한 밤중에 혼자 깨어난다. 식은 땀에 온몸이 흠뻑 젖어 있다. 내가 지금까지 걸어온 길을 되돌아보아도 Sometimes I wake during the dark night from a deadly nightmare soaked through with cold sweat. There was and is and will be nothing but death and fear all around me in the past and in the future. I have lost all my precious things. Now, I fear nothing. Now, I can say what I have undergone. I entered Susan College, Shinpo, in September 1993. More and more, people didn't come to work because they didn't have food, and many people struggled in the marsh of hunger. Sometimes the professors missed the lectures because of the food shortage. The number of students who suffered from malnutrition and who quit school was growing. Fifteen days later, the chef and I were on our way to Pyongyang. We'd been given our pay in full and in advance in cash. They drove us to the other side of town, to a big medical clinic. Apart from the staff, the place looked to be totally deserted. It was equipped with every type of the most modern-looking apparatus. 
Mr. Ohm explained that we would have to undergo a series of tests to make sure there wouldn't be any problems. They gave us a complete checkup. X-rays, electrocardiogram, brain scan, magnetic resonance imaging, urine sample. They also managed, tactfully but insistently, to extract a sizable sample of blood. Here was proof that we were completely in their power and they could do with us as they pleased. One morning, they took us to visit what they referred to as the exhibition. Some ten oversized pavilions crammed to the rafters with the products of North Korea's presumed industrial might. What I particularly liked with the little star-shaped markers on the floor indicating the exact point where the leader had stood on a certain occasion and pronounced some memorable phrase to the workers. I couldn't help blurting out that all they needed here were little stars commemorating the precise spot where the leader had relieved himself. Although my remark had been issued in Italian, the mirth it stirred meant that it had been translated for Mr. Om, whose estimate of me, if this was at all possible, plummeted to new depths. Things got worse from 1996. In the dormitory, we ate soup made of arrowroots and corn flour. You have to drink this soup at a gulp because it's too disgusting to eat. We couldn't concentrate on the lectures. There was only one idea in our head. Is there anything I can eat? Where can I get something to eat? It was pointless thinking about food, but we couldn't help it. In 1997, we ran out of food and the college ordered us to dig arrowroots for food. I left college and started on a wandering journey. This gave me the chance to learn more about the real state of affairs across the country. Un mattino alle 6 giunse una telefonata che ci buttò giù dal letto. One morning at 6 o'clock, we were awakened by the telephone. Era Mr. Om. It was Mr. Om. Colazione fra un'ora. Breakfast in one hour. Get your bags ready, but don't take too much. We'll only be gone for a few days. A place at the seaside. It was to be the last we would see of Pyongyang before our departure. We travelled in darkened limousines for hours before finally arriving at a compound. It was surrounded by an immense park, studded with lakes and luxuriant vegetation. Then we came to a bridge with a gate on it and sentries. At the end of a second driveway, there was another gate patrolled by armed soldiers. Then a third gate, even more carefully guarded by soldiers, who this time were bearing really heavy-duty arms. It was at this point that we were finally allowed to enter the enchanted village, which reminded me of a club med-style resort on the Adriatic, clusters of small houses tucked away in a pleasant grove of pine trees. Driving down the boardwalk, 
every 40 meters or so, behind bundles of barbed wire, we passed batteries of anti-aircraft guns with quadruple cannons manned by four men and an officer, all of whom looked as if they were made out of wax. Finally, we passed what was to be our last gate. This time, just a metal wire fence and only one guard. We had reached our destination. Stations were all the same. No one knew when the train would arrive. The station was crowded with people everywhere. In front of food stores at the station, there were several beggars. They kept their eyes on the food and were always ready to snatch it. Beside them, little boys and girls were driveling and sucking at their fingers. I paid 21 for a bowl of boiled rice and a cake of bean curd. I was just starting to eat when I felt something strange. I looked around and found a girl standing behind me. I looked at her carefully. Sunken eyes without focus, chapped lips, sunken cheeks. I felt pity for her. I bought another bowl of boiled rice and bean curd for her. Without saying a word of thanks, she began to eat greedily. My hunger was gone. I gave my portion to her, ignoring the food vendors who looked at me as if I was mad. She ate all of the food in a moment. I could not believe how fast she ate. The dignity of a human being did not exist. What dignity can exist under starvation? It seemed as if she had eaten nothing for a long time. After a while, she said thanks in a low voice, as if her mind had come back after an absence. In my kitchen, I had three pupils. Mr. Yi, a specialist in pastry and international baking, was fat, somewhat taciturn, but very likable. Mr. Chang, a little older, but with the sweet, naive manners of a teenager, spoke a very good English, but his pronunciation was at first almost unintelligible. Finally, a Mr. Kim showed up, a younger fellow with a shifty demeanor. My class immediately wanted to get down to business and asked me to make a pizza right away. I told them this was impossible because my dough had to sit for at least 24 hours. Their answer was that a professional of my standing should be able to pull off any feat asked of him. I was given four hours. Fortunately, I had brought with me a natural leaven, especially for unforeseen circumstances, and I was able to carry out my preparations. The dough turned out perfectly. But then maybe I was just lucky. While I worked, my pupils, pen and notebook in hand, took down every detail. The rest of the staff, a dozen people or so, gathered round to watch the proceedings in an absorbed silence. At one point, Mr. Yi even asked to count the olives I used and to measure the distance between them. I don't know if he was just pulling my leg, but he looked totally serious. One night, we went to the station. 
It was around 2 a.m. I put on shabby clothes and took a torch. The train had arrived 20 minutes before. It had 12 freight cars carrying corn with five armed security officers keeping watch to protect them. It looked impossible to steal corn under the circumstances. Then I saw something that made me doubt my own eyes. Hundreds of thieves attacked the corn cars in a moment. I don't know where they came from. They crawled under the cars and broke open the floors with their tools. They caught the corn that was flowing downwards in their backs. There were girls, women and even old people among the thieves. They looked resolute, as if they were fighting on a battlefield. They risked their lives to steal corn, because otherwise they'd starve to death. On one occasion, after looking over a brochure I had brought with me, Mr. Pack got the sudden bright idea to order a prefabricated kiln from Italy. He chose the most expensive model available and asked me to telephone and order it right away. Every now and then a kind of courier would show up from some corner of the world. I saw him twice unloading two enormous boxes containing an assortment of 20 very costly French cheeses and one box of prized French wines. That evening, dinner, a feast worthy of Petronius' Sophiticon, was served with an excellent burgundy and delicacies from around the world. As an Italian, I could not refrain from objecting. And three days later, fresh from Italy, there came a shipment of Barolo. We walked along the road. Almana Homakagi. Morning was already coming. On the way, I saw a number of black things moving far away from us. They were people. Black-faced beggars roasting corn kernels that they had probably stolen the night before. There were more than 200 of them. They looked like crows. There was thick soot and smoke from burning tires. Coughing and groaning sounds came from here and there. The smell caught my throat. They called this place the House of Crows. Mr. Om told me to get ready because the next day we would be cooking at the seaside on a boat. expressed my doubts about this, he cut me short with his usual smile and urged me not to worry. The next morning, a cabin cruiser picked us up like a private water taxi. We sped along for about half an hour to the languid notes of Korean music past the islands and islets in front of the base. At last, we came to a big ship, which lay anchored at sea. 
Tied to the side of the ship was a pontoon raft upon which I beheld a most miraculous sight. In truth, I could hardly believe my eyes. They had brought out my entire pizzeria and all its accessories in one piece. All that was left for me to do was to start cooking. The air suddenly came alive with a stir. I had just finished preparing my pizzas when I noticed that everybody in the kitchen seemed to be caught up in an inexplicable flurry of agitation. On the other side of the darkened window of the kitchen, crossing the gangway which led from the cruiser to a luxurious suite overhead, was the man in the murals. Lomo de Murali. The leader hero was immediately recognizable by the distinctive cut of his hair, a style of his own, unique not only in Korea but in the rest of the world. I am not in the position to say whether it really was him, but my chef, colleague, who had no reason to fib, was, for the space of several minutes, utterly speechless. He came into the salon, looking quite beside himself. After listening to the description of the vision he had been privileged to witness, I tried to calm him down and offered him a Korean beer. He said he felt as if he had seen God. North Korea drives the same to madness. 멀쩡한 사람도 미치게 하는 나라. Those who have not experienced the actual state of affairs in North Korea may not believe this. Lo invidio ancora molto per questo. How can they understand it? And I still envy him this experience. But it is true. I Made Pizza for Kim Jong-il, produced by Hugh Levinson for BBC Radio 3 in 2004. If you're interested in hearing more of Hugh's work, he produced a Third Coast Festival short doc in 2004, and you can hear it at our website at thirdcoastfestival.org. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You're listening to Resound. I'm Gwen Maxi. 
Our last story today is about an 18-year-old named Mark, who's just two months shy of aging out of the Long Creek Youth Development Center in Maine, otherwise referred to as the juvenile detention system. As he and his family stare at the future, Blunt Youth Radio producer Carrie Seed at WMPG in Portland recorded some of their thoughts. Hi, my name is Mark. I'm 18 years old and I'm currently incarcerated at Long Creek Youth Development Center. This is the sixth time I've been to Long Creek. Three of them being six more months stay. I won't be released until the end of my sentence date at age 19. My criminal lifestyle started roughly eight years ago when I started using drugs and alcohol. You know, like the cops would come to the doors or they ride by the house. And I always wonder where my son was, if they were looking for him, if he was in trouble. I would call a cell phone. Sometimes he'd answer, sometimes he wouldn't. I'd stay out late in the morning smoking crack, you know, doing heroin, doing all the drugs I wanted to do, drinking, drinking and driving. You know. I didn't care if it hurt me or my family. Who else was it? Whoever else was in the path was going down with me. I was selling drugs, stealing, hurting people. I thank God that I never killed anyone. I remember ha- being handcuffed in the back of a cruiser on the way to Long Creek. I was so scared. When I walked in and those doors closed behind me, I wasn't a tough guy no more. You come in here. Your world stops, you know? The letters stop coming. Your world totally stops. But the world outside you keeps going. My son has missed his birthdays, birthdays, Christmases, three Mother's Days, Thanksgiving, all the family times that everybody gets together is always an empty seat waiting for Mark to come back home. I've missed it all. And you walk through the house and you look in his room and everything's there but him. They sent me to Mercy Detox. This time I was dope sick, going through opiate withdrawals, in which I laid in bed with cramps, the sweats, just begging God to take my life. He didn't listen. I started doing intense work on my addiction, which brought up hopelessness, anger, and hurt from past traumas. I tried to commit suicide. I tied a sheet and pillowcase together, put it over my shelf, twisted it so it wouldn't come off, put my head in the sheet, Then asking Jesus to forgive me of my sins, I threw my feet from under me. Coincidentally, my friend saw me and pulled me down right before I lost consciousness. Nobody can take it anymore. You you know, when the phone rings, is it the sheriff's department? Is it the police department? Are you hurt? Did you get an accident? Did you do something? You can't. You can't live like that anymore. You need to change for yourself. Sometimes it feels as if there's no hope, no possible way I can change. 
I've done this six times. About to age out in 74 more days. And I haven't really made any critical changes that are going to change my life for good. It gets tired of spending time locked up, being away from my family and outside world. Sometimes change doesn't seem possible. Sometimes I feel trapped in a life as a criminal. My Criminal Life, produced by Mark Cassette and Carrie Seed for Blunt Youth Radio out of WMPG in Portland, Maine. ReSound is a production of Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast International Audio Festival. The program is hosted by Gwen Maxi, produced by Delaney Hall, and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear hundreds of outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. Lead support for the Third Coast Festival is provided by the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, with additional funding from the National Endowment for the Arts, American Airlines, and Chicago's Navy Pier. Music for ReSound is provided by Reckless Records in Chicago. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.